You're about to listen to a message from Every Nation Church Midrand, the place where people come to be changed and discipled to transform society. Okay, awesome. So yeah, I'm going to be delivering the word this morning. Um, and let's quickly get into it. Um, let's go to the book of Luke chapter 14. Oh, actually, let's go to Luke chapter 15. Okay, in Luke chapter 15 from verse 1, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribe complaining, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Okay, so there's something which has happened before this. And I'm going to summarize it quickly because that's not where we're going to be. You can get the, the, the podcast, okay? Um, so essentially what happened here is that Jesus was invited to a party, but at that party there was a test. And the test was to see, will Jesus actually heal on the Sabbath? And they brought in a man in that party who had dropsy. Now, a man with dropsy is a man who's not gravitationally balanced. You know, I just imagine that half of him is falling down, okay? So this man with dropsy is brought into the party. Now, this was completely a setup because the Pharisees would have never associated with a man with dropsy. They only brought him there because they wanted to test Jesus. They checked and said, Jesus, which party are you coming to? He said, I'm coming on the 15th. They said, okay, invite the guy with dropsy because we're going to test him. Now, when he shows up at the party, he knows that they're about to test him, and he says, okay, uh, is it actually lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they say, well, nothing, right? It's crickets. And then he says, okay, uh, dropsy guy, come. Uh, no more gravity impact on your face or on your hand. Wherever this dropsy is hitting him, he becomes restored and is actually healed fully. He then spends time explaining to them party etiquette, right? Jesus knew how to throw a, to, to throw a party. You know, he explains to them, when you enter into a party, what you must do is don't choose the best seats. Actually, go to the worst seat, and the guy that invited you will come and fetch you. And how much honor are you going to get when he takes you from the back and says, no, 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 my friend, you should be here, main table, okay? Imagine being part of the bridal party of a wedding. You show up as the part of the bridal party. You know where you must sit, but you go to the very back. Uh, you find the MC going to fetch you and saying, come. You see, and it parades you through until you sit where you should rightfully be sitting. Then he tells them a second story and says, you know what? You know, I throw big parties. I don't throw the small parties. And how I do it is I actually invite people that can't even repay me. I don't invite people that will invite me back. I invite people that I know will be blessed by this event and this event alone. And he tells them that, and then he explains to them this idea of the biggest party which will ever be thrown in all of existence, and that's the party of God, right? The feast. And he says in this party, what actually happened is that God invited certain peoples, and these peoples had excuses why they can't make it. And he says, okay, fine, since you guys have excuses, what I'm going to do is go to the highways. I'm going to go to the streets and actually invite people from there. And they invited everyone that was available, but then the guys came back and said, Master, we still have room. And then they said, no, did you go to the homeless? Did you actually go to the soup kitchen? And he went and he actually invited everyone for the soup kitchen. We don't even know if this, that house was ever filled. And then what happened is that from there, the Pharisees understood, some of the Pharisee followers, they, the potential rabbis, right? They understood that, wow, if I follow this guy, I'm going to have so much honor. I'm going to throw the best parties. Nothing on earth, you know, uh, will, will even compare to the kind of stuff I'm going to do. Because this, this guy knows how to throw a party. 
And immediately when they actually respond, right, he actually challenges them and says, guys, that's not what it's about. It's actually about loving me more than anything else in all of existence. In fact, the kind of love you feel for me when you compare to the nearest, highest love, which is the love for your parents, which is the love for your wife, the love for your children, the love for your sibling, should look like hate. He said, that's going to be the requirement for you to actually follow me. Can you actually carry that? And then after they hear that kind of hard message, that kind of, wow, I must forsake everything to follow this guy. This is so tough. There are those that drew near and there are those that drew away. Now, Jesus in Luke 15 is trying to explain what was actually happening, the phenomena behind all of this and why Jesus was actually approaching it the way that he did. So he says in verse 4 of Luke 15, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. So there is more joy when you throw a party that you can invite people that can repay you. Because it's connecting back to actually what happened. There is more joy when you actually bless people that can't do anything about it back. There is a joy that you can't even explain. And now he connects it and says, you see, these guys, these guys with dropsy that you called sinners, these guys with leprosy, these guys that were found in harlotry, okay? These guys, there is more joy when they show up at the party. There is actually more joy. Now, Jesus uses a simple analogy to explain something so deep and profound. He uses a simple analogy to explain a spiritual condition called lost. Now, there is a spiritual condition called lost. And the simple truth of it is whenever we are disconnected from the shepherd, from the master, we are lost. There's actually no in-between. The spiritual condition is worse than, you know that day when you were so broke, right? You were so broke, you didn't even know, you had no confidence when you went to swipe. The spiritual condition, okay? Uh, this, oh, sorry, you guys can't relate, but yeah. The, the spiritual condition was actually worse than that. The spiritual condition is actually worse than, you know, when the marriage is just not going great that week and it's rough and you look at your wife and you're like, ish, you know, you have that kind of ish, okay? The spiritual condition is way worse than that. It is the worst condition in all of existence. There is no financial, spiritual, what, what, what condition which is worse than this. Lostness is the worst thing that can happen to anyone. Lostness is the worst thing that can happen to you. So friends, perhaps you are asking to say, how does one get lost? What actually happened for these guys to actually lost, to get lost? This parable, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't have used this parable. Because he was using a parable which is quite rare. It's very difficult for sheep to get lost. It's very difficult. It is not an easy thing for sheep to get lost. I'm like, Jesus, I wouldn't have chosen this, you know? I would have chosen maybe a chicken, right? Chickens always run away, right? Uh, you know? Yeah. But because it's such a rare occasion, it explains the mindset and the reaction of the shepherd. Because this does not happen. And when it happens, it's only two reasons. Two reasons only. Reason number one, caught up in pleasure. Reason number two, predators. Caught up in pleasure is that we were going along, we were continuing with the rest of the flock, with the rest of the sheep, 
And all of a sudden, I just found some great grass. Right? I start eating that grass, I'm eating that grass, I'm eating that grass, and I was like, wow, I've never had grass like this before. Uh, there is no grass like this. In all, uh, you know, when it's so good, you're not even, you don't even want to tell anybody about it. You know? uh, it's when, you, when you've in, enjoyed it a lot, then you want to involve people. But just like, I, I want to continue, I want to continue. The sheep's head is down. He's not looking around, just eating, 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 eating. Eventually, the head goes up. And it's like, ah, where's the flock? What actually happened? Because the flock kept moving but he was still caught in pleasure. Okay. Sometimes it's like that for our saints. We are so caught up in the pleasures of this world, in the pleasures of the flesh, that Jesus is moving and we miss him. That the church has moved on, but you are still there because you are caught up in pleasure. And it's the pleasure you refuse to lift up your head from. The pleasure you want to keep eating, you want to continue in, you refuse to repent from. That's the pleasure that causes lostness. That is a dangerous pleasure, saints. No wonder Paul said, actually, you need to put off the old man and his deeds. Because he knew you're going to continue nibbling all the way into lostness. The second point is predators. Interesting enough, the common predators that attack sheep are actually dogs and foxes. Who knew when Paul was talking about these evil dogs, he was speaking about something deep? Who knew when Jesus was speaking about foxes, he was speaking about a deep spiritual principle? Now, predators, what happened is that the flock is continuing and just enjoying each other's company, and a predator comes. So a wolf, a wolf rushes them, and they all want to run away because they are vulnerable animals. They're not strong. I'm not sure if you've seen a sheep. You know, it's not exactly a lion. You know? it's, it's a very weak-looking animal. Now, what happens there is that they start running away. But because it's a time of panic, the sheep runs in the opposite direction as the flock. Everyone else continues in one direction. The sheep is that side. It's continuing, 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 continuing. Eventually, it kicks in to look around. And it looks to the west, it looks to the east, north, south. Where is the flock? And the flock is actually gone. Sometimes, saints, we do things, we do sins that we assume are so scary, God will never have us back. We are so scared in them that we say we don't want to repent. God could never take someone like me. I mean, you don't know that I've had an abortion. You don't know that I've committed adultery. You don't even know that yesterday, Saturday, before Sunday, I knew I was coming to Sunday, but I was sleeping with my boyfriend. God could never forgive someone like me. That's because that fear has kicked in. And there are predators that will ensure that the sheep remains out. Because to the predators, this is prey, this is food. And now you've gone so far, so far out. And you go to this modern prophets and you want a prophecy to restore you. But you don't know, you've just entered predatory territory. You don't know. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is no predator that finds the sheep. And, and says, oh, you are lost. Let me go find your shepherd. <laughs> the predator will destroy the sheep. And interesting enough, when the wild dog, right, actually finds the sheep, the first thing it does is bite the neck so that it can't breathe. Disconnection from the breath of God. Disconnection. All of a sudden, that sin no longer, you know that guilt, 
when you sin the first time, like, ah, you know, oh, you know, I feel so bad. Let me repent quickly. Second time, you repent two days later. Third time, you don't even repent. You're just like, I know what, I'm in there anyway, you know? And then before you know it, you don't even respond to it anymore because there's disconnection from the breath. And you know, sometimes we are, own, we are our own predators in the sense that we'll find scriptures to justify our lostness, to justify why we should not repent, why we should continue, and why you should understand. Saints, that is a dangerous place to be. Lostness is the worst thing that can happen to you. Lostness is the worst thing that can happen to your friend. Lostness is the worst thing that can happen to your family. There is nothing worse than that. Now, what happens is that once the sheep is actually lost, for the first few times when it realizes it, it looks around. And then it starts to bleed. You know, starts to bleed, starts to bleed. It's trying to call for help. Eventually it realizes, I'm too far gone. And it actually withdraws. It withdraws to try and hide from the predators. Now, the probabilities of being found when you are lost are very low. Most lost sheep die lost. They die lost. And can I tell you this? When you die lost, because sometimes we don't want to repent and we think we're going to see Jesus in the last day and all of a sudden we'll have this amazing urge to actually repent. It's not going to happen. Think about the story of Lazarus and the rich man. He was in hell, in a hellish place, but he was still giving commands. He still thought he was still in charge. Send Lazarus to bring me water. The same prideful attitude went to hell with him. If we don't actually get found in this side of reality, we'll never be found. We are lost forever. That is the reality of lostness. So when we have the opportunity to repent on this side of, the reali of reality, it's our best shot. There is no other opportunity that's coming. There isn't that magical moment, you just, you know, in the last second I'll, I'll repent and then... No, those are rare occasions for a special purpose that God has set out. You cannot make that your standard. When you are lost, you repent immediately so that you may be found. You know, the worst part about a lost sheep and the nature of a sheep is that sheep eat good grass. And when sheep don't find good grass and are lost, sheep behave like goats. Sheep can mate with goats. Sheep can have reproduction with goats. They can have children. You don't know this. But that's the reality. But unfortunately, most of the product, reproduction babies actually die because it's not meant to be. Because sometimes we are lost and we go and we attach ourselves to goats. Yeah. And we think I've arrived, I'm now sorted. But in the last days, we know that Jesus is going to separate the goats from the sheep. There won't be a relationship between the two. So when we attach ourselves to the goat and we think we are fine, we think we've arrived, we're just digging ourselves into hell. We are eating, pleasuring ourselves into hell. So saints, I would encourage you to say, lostness is not what you want for your life. Lostness is not where you want to be. But I have good news for you. There's a reaction of the shepherd. The shepherd immediately when he realizes the sheep is lost, the shepherd aggressively goes after the sheep. He does the most it doesn't make sense to me to leave the 99, not in a safe place, in the wilderness where they can get attacked, where other things can happen to actually go after the one. That's the attitude of the shepherd. But I know this picture is hard to explain. Let me explain it to you with an alternative parable. Imagine you actually walk into your house, beautiful house. In this imagination, you stay in Blue Valley, you know? 
So you are walking into a very beautiful house. Uh, why, why, must you, why must you stay? It's your imagination, guys. Like, you can choose. Like, okay. Okay. But you walk into your beautiful house in Blue Valley. You get there, you realize the windows are broken. What actually happened here? Now you start to worry because your family's inside. You step closer, the door is even open. So you just push it and it actually swings wide open. You look inside and you're like, where is my furniture? You know, where are my things? And you look at the walls, there's blood. You don't even know whose blood it is. You go looking, you go looking. Now you're worried, you're worried. Where is your family? But you don't want to shout lest the thief is still there. So you're not even sure. You're in a confusing state, right? And then you find your family and you realize your family was hurt in this burglary event. Not only was your property injured, but your family was injured. The wife you love, the child you love, they were injured. And you make up your mind and say, I'm going to find this guy. Remember, you're a Blue Valley guy, so you know, your, your resources are many. Okay? Uh, so you make up your mind, you put together the A-team, you do everything and say, I'm going to find the guy who actually did this. I'm going to go after this guy. You go searching, you go searching, you go searching. You don't stop. This becomes your obsession until one day you actually find the guy. And you find the guy and you say, oh, you are the guy that did this at Blue Valley. And the guy confirms and says, yes, it was me. And you're like, wow, I just wanted to find you and forgive you. I wanted to find you and extend to you love. I wanted to find you and tell you I love you. And in fact, I want to bless you. I'm a Blue Valley guy. I'm buying a Blue Valley house for you. That's exactly how Jesus treats us. He finds us in our offense towards him. Our sin towards him is not this pleasure thing where it's like, ah, you know, it's just this. No, it is actually a hectic offense to him. And he finds us in that moment and says, I want to tell you I forgive you. I want to tell you that I love you. I want to tell you that everything is sorted between us. I want to tell you that you can come home. And in fact, he takes it further and says, I want to bless you. I want to give you a new name. Do you have a family? I want to adopt you. Can you imagine? That's an extravagant love that God has for us. That's an extravagant forgiveness that God has for us. Often we limit our understanding of forgiveness because we understand it's just, oh, it's a hard thing. Jesus in his heart forgives me. It's way more than that. It is way more than that. That's what Jesus does when he realizes the sheep is lost. But some sheep won't come back. Because they say the pleasure is too good. Right? The it's too nice, you know. It's actually too nice. The fornication is too nice. The adultery is too nice. The abuse is too nice. The too nice, too nice, too nice, too nice. But there are those who don't come back for a different reason. They're like the lost coin. You see, in the case of the lost coin, the scenario was completely different. The coin had nothing to do with itself being lost. It was lost because the owner was negligent. The owner didn't do what they're supposed to do. And sometimes since you are there, where you say, you know what? I do know I'm lost. I do know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But it's not my fault. It was the abuse that I suffered. It was at the hands of somebody else that this lostness came. It was the abuse I entered when I entered a wrong church and things actually went too far. And you don't want to come back because there's that hardness. Say so it wasn't my fault. It was somebody else's actions that caused me to be lost. But Jesus' attitude is still as aggressive. 
it is still as aggressive. He wants to find you, to bless you, to heal you, to restore you, to get you back to where you were never. Sometimes we think we are being restored like we had actually something of substance that God wants to bring back. No, he finds you and he gives you a new life. The life of the Christian, the life of the found sheep is not the same life as the lost sheep. It is not an upgrade. Jesus doesn't say, come to me so that I can upgrade you. He says, come to me so that I can give you life. I can give you a different thing that you have never known. And the very fact that it says, come to me so that I can give you life, it means when he finds this sheep, this parable is not complete. The sheep was dead when he found it. Jesus found a dead sheep, but he resurrected it. You see, if you don't die, if you don't die to all your ambitions, to all your other loves, to all your sin, and remain alive to it, you can't be found. A sheep that can be found is the one that says, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die to this so that it can be alive to this. Die to sin, alive to righteousness. You can't be alive to both. There is no single tap that you can open up and somehow there's two types of waters that run at the same time. If the water is even 1% dirty, the whole water is dirty. There isn't a water which is not, 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 not 1% dirty that is clean. It is dirty. Saints, he finds the sheep. Perhaps it even dies at its sight. It sees him and it's so freaked out. You came for me and it dies. And then he picks it up and it actually resurrects and it's alive and that's the new life. But the first thing that that sheep hears is rejoicing from the shepherd. You know, sometimes we don't want to come back because we think, oh, God is so angry with me. What I did is too big. He could never rejoice over someone like me. But the Lord will have you know, once he finds that sheep, the first thing it hears is rejoicing. Some of us, we get saved, and the first thing we hear is anger. God is so angry. But God rejoices when he finds you. He rejoices. Do you know, interesting enough, when you actually study, when you look at the attributes of God, there are many attributes of God. One of them is actually the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a fearful thing. It's a thing you don't want to fall into. It's a thing that when it comes, even mountains decide I'm running, guys. You know, the, you'll have faith to move mountains. You know, they have faith to move. You know, they start running. You know, they start running, you know. The heavens start behaving like they are this uh, slight thing where they roll up and say, hey, guys, I'm gone, you know. Because the wrath of God is a fearful and a terrifying thing to witness. It is a fearful and a terrifying thing to actually see. But I want to tell you this. The wrath of God is only coming on the sons of disobedience. It's not coming on those that were found and say, only Jesus. Only Jesus is my Lord. It's not coming on the sons of God. In fact, wrath is the only attribute of God that the Bible says you need to let go of this. Or at least the things that need to be done away with in your life. It speaks about wrath. It doesn't say drop holiness. Keep holiness, but drop wrath. Because you will never, once you actually come to Jesus and you start walking with him, you will never experience the wrath of God like one of the world. You will have to invite it in if you want it. But it is not meant for you. It's a different life. It's a completely different life. Let's quickly, briefly, in sort of uh, coming to a conclusion, the last parable that Jesus tells is about a father who had two sons. It's wrongly named the parable of the lost son because both those sons were actually lost. Both of them that were lost. 
The one was lost in church and the other was lost outside. So sometimes you are lost and you are sitting here. You know, lostness is not a condition of being disconnected to a Sunday service. Lostness is a condition of being disconnected to the shepherd, of being disconnected to Jesus. That is what lostness is. It's not about your position. It's not about your location. It has no GPS signal. No, no, no. It actually is a spiritual condition. It's a sickness, and a sickness that leads to death. Ooh, okay. Oh, you must... Yeah, okay. Jesus then tells uh, this parable and says, this man actually had two sons, a younger son and an older son. The younger son says, Eish, I believe my life will be better without this God thing. And sometimes that's our attitude. We voluntarily enter lostness because we believe that life in God is boring compared to life without God. We believe that life as God is limiting compared to life without God. And we make this decision says, you know what, I'm not going to choose this life with God. I'm going to choose this life without God because I believe that's where the action is. That's where the action is. I mean, imagine in this life with God, there's no fornication. In this life without God, there's fornication. In this life with God, there's no adultery. It's only one wife. Even if you are bored with that wife, forever, you die with her. But in this side, there's adultery. But this side, this side leads to death. This side is a place of death. In fact, the reason the person is in those sins and refusing to repent is because he's dead. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually came to us in our death. He found us dead in trespasses. He didn't find us alive and kicking it in the trespasses. No, he found us dead. One preacher once said, dead. D-E-D. You are so excited. Okay. But then the younger son decides, okay, I'm going to choose the life without God. I don't want these limits. I want to have sleepovers when I want to. I want to do this when I want to. I wanna, I'm a boy and I want to have a boyfriend, you know. He said, I'm going for all of it. I don't want to be limited. And the father says, okay, I will divide to you uh, your livelihoods. And he actually divides to them. And what happens is that this one boy then goes to a far country. It wasn't necessarily geographically far. It was just a condition of lostness. He could have been next door, but the very fact that he wanted nothing to do with the father, he could have been sitting with the father in the same room, but the very fact that he wanted nothing to do with the father was a far country. A far country is not a place. It's a condition. It's a condition of lostness. Whenever you are lost, you are in a far country. You are in a different country. Because in the country of God, we are connected to the Father. In the country of God, we are connected to the shepherd. We are not just living haphazardly. We are living in accordance with heaven. Okay? So he arose and he actually went there. And it says in verse 14, but when he had spent all, okay, um, there arose a famine in the land and, began, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country um, and he sent him to the fields of the swine. Remember what I said? Sheep, when they're desperate, they'll join goats. He went and joined yeah. and said, I know I'm a prince where I'm coming from, but I'll do, she, she, I'll do uh, pig work. The work meant for the pig. I'll be there with the pigs. What do you need the pigs to do? I'll do it as well. That's lostness. You see how irrational this prince is. All because he is lost. But let me tell you this, right? He joins himself. He goes away. He spends. And then he runs out. And then he ends up in this bad situation. Every pleasure, every pleasure, it starts out like this. You're like, oof, I can't believe it, eh? 
I've never done anything like this. Wow, wow, wow. And it goes, yeah, you are, it's like you're on a drug now, you know, when you are here. But then it starts to go down. The pleasure disappears. The pleasure disappears and disappears and disappears until eventually you find no meaning in that pleasure. You just find emptiness. And you see it even with drug users, right? Day one, they shoot up and it's uh, like, wow, you know, they are truly high, you know? And they go higher and higher and higher and higher until they start going low. They start going low, 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 until they hit rock bottom. The pleasures that are holding us back from Jesus, the pleasures that enable us to do a limited job when it comes to Jesus, the pleasures that dictate, uh, Pastor Eric has spoken about, don't let anyone regulate your hunger. The pleasures that regulate our hunger, those pleasures, they might feel nice today, but I can assure you, there's a time of downhill which is actually coming. Unlike with Jesus, there isn't such a time. You know him here, you're like, wow, I cannot believe it. John 3, 16, I can't believe it. You actually sent, God sent a, a son. Like somebody came from heaven to take sins. I, what? This is so amazing. And then you continue, like, wow, this person is not only a son, he's actually God. You continue like, wow, this person didn't just die, he rose again from the dead. What kind of thing is this? And you're like, this is too deep. And then you continue and you're like, wow, he's still alive today. You go up, 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 up. The only thing that limits is the pleasures we take along. We cannot take vile pleasures along with us in our journey of knowing God. We have to leave them behind. We have to actually choose Jesus Christ. And him alone must we choose. He will not compete, guys. He's not going to compete. Like his father, he's a jealous Lord. He's not going to compete. He wants you, you, and fully you. He wants both Jacob and Israel. You understand that? He wants Jacob and Israel, the bad parts, the manipulator, the one that stole the birthright. This is a one, that guy. And Israel, the guy who's the father of many nations. But now we actually think, oh, okay, uh, God, God actually just wants this part, this clean part. No, he wants all of you. And when he gets a hold of all of you, he transforms you and moves you from lost to found. Oof, he actually changes you completely. Okay. Now, what happened in verse 17, which I'm hoping will happen to some of us today, is that he says, but when he came to himself, he had a meeting, a board meeting with himself, and said, self, it's rough out here. We need to make a plan. We need to make a plan. He says, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? See, you are outside trying to fight for what in heaven your father is walking on. Allowing what heavenly people are walking on to be the thing that prevents you from being in. Gold is a common thing. I mean, Solomon became so rich, he made it common even on earth. He just made it a normal thing. But we are fighting for this thing like, ah, you know, it's our Lord. But he came to himself. And he made that realization. He says, I will rise and go before my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. In complex theological terms, they call that repentance. 
That's all he did. Repentance is a change of mind. You decide I've been going the wrong way, I want to change my mind and go the, the, the right way. And you can always picture it, right? You are walking, you are fornicating, you are doing this, you are doing that, you are doing that, you are doing that. The end point is hell. But when you repent, you turn around and you go the opposite direction. You stop doing all of that, right? Now you are about the kingdom of God. Your life is completely different and your end point is not necessarily just heaven, right? Because you don't want it to be a just heaven sort of lifestyle. It actually starts now. You get to know God now. You continue with him in heaven and you're going to come back with him here on earth, in the new earth and in the new heavens. So he actually repents. But I want to show you the power of his repentance. In verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can you imagine the son that rejected you is the son when you see from afar you run with more compassion than you've had in so long just to say my son is back that's my boy that's my boy and that's exactly how god reacts when we re when we repent god says that's my boy that's my boy he's actually coming home he's coming guys do you see this and there's a joy in heaven that heaven like imagine there's a massive joy in heaven which just exudes why? Because the father is so rejoicing that his son is coming home, that his son is going to be con con connected again. So there are two things which happen, right? There is the sheep which was lost, there is the coin which was lost, and the shepherd, the owner of the coin, went after it. Yet in this case, there's a, la a son who chose to be disconnected, and that son is the one that must repent, repent and come back. And I think it's, it's, that's probably the case, right? Sometimes you need to make a decision and say, I am choosing to be disconnected from the Father, so I must choose to actually come back. Whereas some of us, the Lord will go after us, and we know the Lord is coming after us, because sometimes you're just walking around minding your own business, and all of a sudden somebody wants to share the gospel with you. You're minding your own business, somebody wants to invite you to church. You're minding your own business, someone says, can I pray for you? And you are, eventually you realize, you're like, what's going on? But that's because the Lord is going after his lost sheep. But to make a decision, it's a conviction of a word like this. It's a conviction when you hear that this word is for me and I want to make a difference in my life. I don't want to continue down the same route. I want to be transformed by the Lord. I don't want my end point to be hell. Do you know what's interesting is that the Bible is never mysterious about the end point of wicked people. But it is always mysterious about the righteous. It's never mysterious. So when I say the end point is hell, it's not because I love talking about hell. It's because it's not mysterious. It is so clear whenever you read scripture. So the father has compassion in him and he actually runs to him. And he's about to say his speech to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant. And the father is already rejoicing and saying, wow. And the father immediately in verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put, on a, ring, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now, when we repent, sometimes we're like, ah, I need to actually go clean up first, right? I need to fix some things first because I don't want to repent and then I'm not able to carry it out. I don't think I'm ready yet, right? Let me actually go and break up with so-and-so and, you know, change my phone number. You know, some people need to change phone numbers after they repent. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, you know, let, let me go and do this. Let me go and do that, right? But the father comes running at him and puts on the best robe. 
When the Father of heaven sees us repenting, he puts on the best robe, Jesus Christ. He clothes us with Jesus and we no longer look like our condition. There are some people that are here in church that can tell you, you know what, I used to do this, 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 and you won't even see it. You won't even recognize it. You're like, ha, huh, you, that's not possible. Why? Because they have the best robe on. And when, by the time this guy actually got to the house, these guys were just, oh, I thought he ran away. I think he was on a trip. Nah, he must have been in, you know, the Maldives. You know, he must have been somewhere there, fancy. Because the way he's dressed is actually different. And the second thing is that the father restores authority by giving him the signet ring. That's the family ring. That family ring changes everything. You know you can run out, but if you have the family ring, you can still keep buying. It's different, right? The family ring changes everything. It says, I am not limited by my resources, but the family resources. I'm not limited by how much money has, but what my father actually has. It's a different lifestyle. And you don't say, I'm not doing it because I don't have. You say, I'm doing it because he said it. The signet ring makes a massive difference. Whenever you go to the store, he didn't need anything. You just put his ring and it will be settled later. It's a completely different lifestyle. That's what we don't realize is that when we actually run away from the Lord, when we are disconnected, when we are lost, we are disconnected from the source of our life. We are disconnected from the resources of God. You know, we pray and we cry and say, Lord, bless me, increase me, do this, do this. You will be blessed in accordance with the general blessing of God. But when you are inside, it's a different life because you are connected to the resources. That's when you give away one thing and it becomes a hundred. You give away one car, it becomes a hundred cars. You give away a house and it becomes a hundred houses. This is what Mark 10 is talking about because it's a completely different system that you've entered. And remember when he came back, he was still in the old system mentality where he thought, I need to go back and serve and earn my right to be a son one day. But sometimes we even come to the Lord like that, and we say, I want to come back and just be a servant. I just want to serve the Lord, because if I serve the Lord hard enough, I'm going to be a son. There is no domestic worker who can serve the master long enough to be a daughter. There is no gardener who can serve the master long enough to be a son. Sons are born. It's a completely different reality. Sons are born, and that is why we need to be born again, saints. We cannot expect to continue with the old mentality. Okay. We can't expect to continue with the, with the old mentality and expect to do sonship things. This is why when we talk about go, share the gospel, you are unable and unwilling to do it because you're still embracing lostness. You don't desire what the Father desires because you are still embracing lostness. You are holding on to lostness like lostness is your BFF. Okay. But the last thing the father puts on him is actually shoes because the way has changed. You know, you can't, you, the shoes he was wearing, you know, he was wearing like Caleb's shoes, you know? Those, you know that, that kind of level, okay? That kind of level, you know? And that's because the journey has changed. I'm not walking the same anymore. Where maybe when I needed to actually walk in the rough terrains of the far country, I need a certain type of shoes. But because I am now connected to the Father, I need a different kind of shoe. Because the terrain I'm walking on is different. I'm no longer in the muddy places. I'm in the highway. I am no longer there. I am not on my way to hell. I'm not on the highway. You know, that's what adultery does, the highway to hell. It's a highway to death, right? I am no longer journeying to becoming a breadcrumb. I am journeying as a prince. I am journeying as a king, as a son. It's a completely different life. And the father then takes the fattened calf. 
So the father had been preparing and thinking about it and saying, we're probably going to have a big occasion one day. I don't know what it is. Maybe you, big brother, when you get married, will do something. But big brother is just working hard. He's not, you know, uh, he's not uh, intending to do a big thing soon. So he's working, working, working. And then when he sees, he's like, oh, that is what the fattened calf was for. It's for the son. Can you imagine? Take it back to the scenario I gave you. This man broke into your house. This man abused your wife. This man abused your, your, your daughter, abused your son. He stole everything. He broke your glasses. He did everything. Your chandeliers are on the floor. You know, Blue Valley chandeliers, you know? Uh, you know? Your chandeliers are on the floor. It's just a mess of a situation. It's a messy, messy situation. But you go and you find him and say, I just wanted to forgive you. I just wanted to love you. I just wanted to tell you everything is fine. And by the way, I have bought your house next to mine because you are family now. That's exactly what happened here. That's the good news of Jesus Christ, saints. The good news of Jesus Christ is not that you're going to work hard, attend more services, read the whole Bible, and earn your way into heaven. The good news is that Jesus comes and finds you and says, you are mine. And I want you to be connected back. I don't want you to be lost any longer. I want you to live your life as a son. That's the difference. Let's quickly read the reaction of the, uh, of the older son, and we'll close. Now, his older brother, in verse 25, was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. He called one of the servants. And he wanted to find out what's actually going on. Why is there music at the house? And then he finds out, oh, no, your, 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 your brother is back. And it's like, yo, how can they throw a party for that guy? You know, how can they actually do that? And sometimes church people's attitude is like that. How can you concentrate, concentrate so much effort just for the, those that are outside? We are here. We are attending. Why don't you focus on us? You've been focusing so long on those guys. Focus on us. Or sometimes somebody gets saved uh, because you are actually walking with them, because you are actually ministering to them, and then the Lord starts blessing them. And then your heart becomes somehow like, ha, ah, like, ha, ah, Lord, you know? I've been doing this, this thing, and I still don't have BMW and this guy now. Two months, two months in. Ah, guys, come on, you know? And you start to become negative. You start to harbor bitterness. And you don't want to come in when the father calls. Now you don't want to come in just like, ah, it's the same. You know, I'm here, but I'm not benefiting. You know, there's nothing for me here, you know. Other kids come here day one, already you've given them something. Yeah? Day one, the testimony is, I oh, know, I was just praising the Lord, closing my eyes. I knew I needed rent money. I didn't know where it was going to come from. Then somebody just came and said, he has 10,000. And you're like, ha, ah, I need rent money. You know, <laughs> you know? Like, I've been struggling with rent, and God, you're busy with this newbie, okay? Wow. But the attitude of the father is different. The attitude of the father is to, the, to say, you who are in the house, everything I have is yours. All my resources, although they are mine, you are a steward. So you can pray now and speak to me and say, Father, I need resources for this mission, and the Father will deploy. Your limitation was never what you had. You see, he was in the house, but he was operating with a servant mentality. He thought that he's going to clean enough animals and then share enough animals, and then one day the Father is going to promote him and say, okay, step higher. You are no longer a servant, you are actually a son. But there is no such thing. Sonship is only through birth. 
sonship is only through this one mechanism only. Jesus was a son, not because he worked hard, not because he earned it, but because he's a son. And that's how sonship works. Completely different reality. Completely, completely. But the attitude of the Father towards us who are inside, feeling like that, feeling like I've been, I've been, you know, but these things are not flowing to me. The attitude of the Father is, I haven't forgotten your righteous works. And just ask. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you ask, you ask with the wrong motive. You ask because you saw him getting, now you want. You don't ask because you want, because you are envious, because it's inspired by covetousness. That's why you are asking. But the Lord will say, that's not how it is. You're a son. Just live with me. Get to know me. Your desires are changing. And that's the message of God. The desires of that first son changed. The desires of the second son changed. He started to operate as a son. He no longer operated as a servant. He no longer operated as somebody that wants to be disconnected. Somebody that's actually lost. And that's the good news of salvation, saints. It's that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, but Jesus Christ has done it all. There is nothing, there is literally no prayer you can pray that will cause you to actually earn salvation. The Pharisees thought, if I prayed longer, then I'll be saved. If I prayed longer, I'm in better standing. But Jesus said, it's that guy. That guy who prayed for so short, but his attitude was repentance. His attitude was, I want to turn away. His attitude was, I don't have the strength. And even if you feel like you don't have the strength, I want to tell you that the strength is from above. It is not within you. It is in Buddhism where they assume the strength is within you, but it is not within you. The strength comes from above. And that's what actually changes you. Saints, would you mind if we just stand up on our feet and pray? This ministry has come to you live from Every Nation Midrand. For other life-changing messages and more information, log on to www.everynationmidrand.org.